0: Apart from Shakespeare and the Bible, Agatha Christie is said to be the best-selling author in the English language. She wrote dozens of mystery novels and short-story collections. And though she died in 1976, a new work of hers was published just a few years ago. The Grand Tour, Around the World with the Queen of Mystery, is a compilation of letters she wrote to her family back in faraway England as she spent nearly a year sailing around the world. It gives us clues into the exotic characters and locales that she would eventually work into her stories when Agatha Christie became a famous mystery writer. As her only heir, Matthew Pritchard oversees Agatha Christie's legacy today. He assembled her correspondence and photos for this peek into her round-the-world travels from 1922. Matthew joins us now on Travel with Rick Steves for a look at his grandmother's grand tour of the British Empire. Matthew, thanks for being here. You're very welcome. When you think about Agatha Christie's grand tour, exactly what was the grand tour that your grandmother took in 1922?
1: What she set out to do, actually, was to accompany her husband, my grandfather, who was appointed sort of financial director to a tour which aimed to encourage support for the grand exhibition that took place in, I think it was 1924— involving all the countries in what was then the British Commonwealth.
0: So this was like a World's Fair or something? A wor-
1: that is exactly what it was, So yes. a
0: 1924 London World's Fair. So she was going around the world in 1924. At a place
1: called Crystal Palace. Okay. They set off from London and they went to start with to South Africa and then to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, with a stop in Hawaii for my grandmother to learn how to surf but it was a tremendous tour it took about a year and i think these days it would be hard to imagine people embarking on a tour like that i know they go on long cruises but they don't usually um, last that long
0: so now she was just a young a young woman at this point how old was she in 1922 1922 she would have been 32 32 was she famous was she established as a writer at this point
1: no, I think she'd written two or three books and mm-hmm. she wrote one or at least the notes for it while she was actually on the tour. So although she was, she was an author, I don't think she would have been nearly as well-known um, no.
0: now. And probably had no idea of how important she would one day be. And she was just writing letters to her mother just because she wanted to keep her mother clued in. Is that, do you think that's the idea?
1: As we have all discovered since, she was an inveterate writer. Yeah. Uh, so if she wasn't writing books, she was writing letters.
0: And you've compiled these letters. Tell us about the letters that Agatha Christie wrote as a 32-year-old woman in 1922.
1: As a group, they are a, a very evocative and sometimes pictorial account of uh, the places that they visited, the situations that they encountered, uh, the people they met, the parties they went to. And the actual words are accompanied by an extraordinary collection of photographs, some of them taken by my grandmother herself Mm. um, and others, of course, by people surrounding them. And I think the important thing about the Grand Tour was the idea that it gives of uh, life in sort of middle to upper class England and the Commonwealth in the 1920s and how people behaved, and in other words, it's social history as well as literary history.
0: So, Matthew, as you were reading through these letters from your grandmother, this was a time when the British Empire, you didn't really think there was anything unnatural about the British people ruling a quarter of the the planet, and uh, Agatha Christie was going on this cruise around the world. Did you capture a sort of an attitude from her that was very uh, British Empire-ish?
1: Very much so. I mean, I think somebody like my grandmother would have... I think found some of the people she met, um, I can remember sort of farmers in Australia whose language my grandmother found quite difficult to understand. Mm. I mean, there weren't so many, I mean, these days there are hundreds, nay, thousands of Australians in England, but there weren't Mm -hmm. then. Her sort of reaction to situations that you can read in the letters is very fresh and, you know, fresh, tolerant, but nonetheless sometimes bemused.
0: Bemused in a—condescending is probably a negative way, but in a we're superior to you kind of way, culturally.
1: Yes. I mean, I, I think it was genuinely a foreign tour. I mean, I know everybody mm-hmm. on all the way around the tour talked the same language, but mm-hmm. um, Australians were very different from New Zealanders who were very different from Canadians yeah, and, yeah. and all that kind of thing.
0: When you were reading through these—actually, you, you collected these letters, and from that came your book, The Grand Tour Around the World with the Queen of Mystery— what sort of challenge did you have in taking these letters? Because I would imagine there were missing pieces to the story to put this book together.
1: Well, I think though I edited it myself, part of the charm of of the book is that it doesn't pretend to be a complete chronological account of all 12 months of the tour. Although Mm -hmm. we have actually put the letters in chronological order, there are gaps and, you know, days missing and Incidents that are described that unfortunately don't have photographs to accompany them. Mm -hmm. But I think when you get to the end, you will get uh, a great picture of uh, what the British Commonwealth was like and Mm -hmm. what traveling was like. And I mean, for instance, her only method of communicating with her three-year-old daughter at home was by letter. No emails, no telephones, just good old-fashioned letters, which took, what, two or three weeks to get there.
0: Did you get a sense, Matthew, that when you read through these letters that this was a, a great author or a great writer working on her writing skills? Did she enjoy observing and, and collecting these thoughts? Or was it just more of a travel log?
1: Well, I certainly think that anybody reading those letters would say to themselves, my goodness me, she's very good at describing what she saw and giving us an, an insight into the character of the people she met. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course... There are no detective stories in the book. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there are unfortunately
0: no murders. But do you think over this course, she, better part of a year on the road, that she was developing, getting ideas and finding characters that would later show up in her stories?
1: Well, there's a book um, that she wrote around that time, The Secret Adversary, I think. No, it wasn't. It was called The Man in the Brown Suit. Okay. And all I can tell you without revealing the plot is that the murderer in The Man in the Brown Suit was actually on board the ship with my grandmother. And he is one of the very few characters who is reproduced completely as one character. He was called Major Belcher. That's the real character, but that's not his character in the book. So the answer is yes, you know, she was thinking of ideas and uh, learning how to translate them into detective stories all the while she was away.
0: Because you can't be so prolific as Agatha Christie was without having some life experience, and I would imagine this was a very rich and fertile time for her as she was developing her arsenal of scenes and characters and stories. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Matthew Pritchard. Matthew is the only grandson of Agatha Christie. He's written a book called The Grand Tour, Around the World with the Queen of Mystery, which is derived from all of the letters that Agatha Christie wrote from this year-long around-the-world trip uh, that Matthew has edited and published. Matthew, when uh, we think of Agatha Christie, even if you're not a big Agatha Christie fan, you know about the Orient Express. What is the Orient Express, and what's your take on that?
1: The Orient Express used to be a train that left northern France, Calais, I think it was, And it travelled to Venice and then via the Balkans and Eastern Europe and ended up in what used to be Constantinople, which is now called Istanbul. And my grandmother was fascinated with trains. Indeed, she was fascinated with travel. And I think her trip on this train in the early 1930s was obviously responsible for the book that she wrote shortly after that called Murder on the Orient Express. If any of your listeners ever end up in Istanbul, there is a hotel called the Pira Palace, which has an Agatha Christie bedroom and a very small but evocative little display of Agatha Christie products. I'm not quite sure how genuine those are, but certainly her visiting the hotel is genuine and her fascination with Istanbul and the East is very genuine.
0: I can just imagine, I've been at the Pira Palace Hotel in Istanbul and it's a great little sight but for you, the grandson of Agatha Christie to drop in there, what was it like for you in Istanbul to visit the hotel room made famous? I, I would imagine they knew who you were and you got to go behind the glass.
1: Yeah, yeah, they certainly knew who I was. I mean, more good news for your listeners is that the Pira Palace is, is not like it was when my grandmother visited it. It's just received a complete facelift and is now a, a brilliant hotel as well as an important historical site for Agatha Christie lovers. But the manager of the hotel was very polite and it was actually, I thought, I see quite a lot of places, believe it or not, which claim to have Agatha Christie rooms and Mm -hmm. Agatha Christie sites and Mm -hmm. this, that and the other, where I'm sure she never went to in her life. But Mm. at least I know that she really did go to the Piera Palace and this was very much uh, somewhere where she felt at home.
0: So if you've read all of Agatha Christie's novels and you could go anywhere in the world and visit places that were inspiring to Agatha Christie or, or featured in the novels or, or were connected with these novels. What are three or four places, Matthew, that you'd recommend uh, Agatha Christie fans to put on their travel wish list?
1: I'm going to give you a cheating answer to that question. What I would love to be able to advise your listeners to do is to go to Syria and Iraq, which were, if anywhere in the world, my grandmother's home from home. She was married to an archeologist And they went there most years from the early 1930s until the 60s. They fell in love with Syria and Iraq. They had lots of Syrian and Iraqi friends. And it would be such a tragedy for her to Mm. witness the terrible uh, events that are going on there now. My step-grandfather was fluent in Arabic. And the, the love affair between my grandparents and Arabs of many different denominations was completely mutual. And it is one of the tragedies of my life that I've never been to Syria and Iraq where my grandparents were so happy. And, you know, it sadly, it doesn't look as if any of us are going to be able to go there mm-hmm. in the near future.
0: I didn't realize that Syria and Iraq, two of the most tragic places on the planet right now, would have such close connection with Agatha Christie and, and uh, a place that she went many, many times.
1: She wrote a lovely little book called Come Tell Me How You Live, which is a wonderful read. It's not a detective story, but it is autobiographical and contains uh, very evocative passages of mm. how she felt in, mm. in Syria and Iraq. And I could recommend that it's a really good little read. It'll only take you four or five hours to read.
0: And uh, this is about her uh, experiences while she was there with her husband on archaeological digs? That's right. And what's the name of the book?
1: Come Tell Me How You Live.
0: Come Tell Me How You Live. That would be a fascinating look at two places that, realistically, now we are not going to be traveling to. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We are talking with Matthew Pritchard. And Matthew is the only grandson of Agatha Christie. His responsibility is taking care of the heritage of Agatha Christie and all the things that come with that. Uh, Family Estate at Greenway in the south of England is now run by the National Trust, and and that would be a very important site to check out. Every September, there's an Agatha Christie uh, International Festival in uh, Torquay, which is in the south of England. And if you're an Agatha Christie fan heading off to England in the fall, uh, that would be a a week-long festival that would be well worth checking out. So what is your role now with the heritage of, of Agatha Christie?
1: It's pretty wide-ranging. I mean, I suppose what takes up most of my time is the sort of commercial managing of the property, the worldwide film and TV rights, publishing rights, and all the modern things that emanate from them. That is, so to speak, the business side. But in some ways, the most intriguing side is the sort of heritage and the legacy. At home, I have a coach house behind my house which contains the Agatha Christie archive, which contains all her notebooks and Mm. all sorts of photographs all the way through her life. Amongst other things, apart from being an author, she was a very accomplished photographer. So we have lots of photographs, many of them taken by herself. My life is spent dealing with a person who I think was almost unique in the 20th century, not only being, as you've said, a best-selling author, but having so many accomplishments as well. Uh, one of which incidentally was being a very charming accommodating and loving grandmother.
0: Matthew i was reading about you discovering these tapes that your grandmother dictated for her last memoirs apparently in the attic of the greenway house can you tell us about that and how that helped you with your work
1: after my mother sadly died about 10 years ago it was one of my first duties to go over all the cardboard boxes that were in greenway which some of them you know held a good deal of rubbish but Sometimes one came across a tremendous historical nugget, and one of them was these uh, tapes of the last third, roughly, of the autobiography that she published, was published just after she died. And that was, I think, particularly poignant, because as most of her fans know, she wasn't very good at giving interviews, so there isn't much available of her actual voice. And to have this you know 16 or 17 hours of her voice what 30 years as it then was um, after her death was a great find and we use excerpts of it now for various reasons as a lovely little piece concerning her, her invention of miss marple mm. and and all those kinds of things but it was uh, it was a great find
0: matthew when when i think of you having actually known your grandmother as a young boy and then reading through all of these letters that she wrote later as a as a man who's in charge of taking care of her heritage, what did you learn about your grandmother from these letters that was different from your recollections of her as a little boy?
1: Well, I'm not sure I learned anything that was very different. I think I learned to emphasize certain parts of her character that I knew existed. I mean, Mm -hmm. first of all, I suppose, enthusiasm, the ability to listen to what other people said. I think she was the best listener I've ever met. Um, And goodness knows in Hmm. the society we live in now, we need listeners, don't we?
0: A good listener. So the most prolific and widely read author in in so many ways was an expert listener. I think that is very
1: thoughtful. And I'm sure there is a considerable connection between the two.
0: And if you think of how successful your grandmother was, how would you sum up her ability to captivate her readers? Just in a nutshell, to close out this interview, how was your grandmother so darn successful at captivating us all in her writing?
1: I would suggest that partly because of the fact that she was an inveterate traveler and an inveterate listener, she learnt almost unconsciously how to communicate with people. She learned what they enjoyed. She learnt how to entertain them. And she learned never to be anything else other than herself. Mm. And I think the result of this was that her books and all the various adaptations that have been made out of them are just first-class entertainment and people... Unwishingly realize that and that's why they go on reading them
0: First class entertainment from an inveterate traveler what a gift Matthew Pritchard thank you so much I'll look forward to checking out your book The Grand Tour Around the World with the Queen of Mystery and best wishes with your work in keeping the heritage of your grandmother Agatha Christie alive and well
1: Thank you very much
0: Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, freshly updated this year, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks for London, England, Great Britain, Scotland and Ireland. To learn more about Rick's guidebooks for this region and beyond, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.